0: As we move towards uh, Christmas in the month of December, we're looking at a book, Book of Ruth, and a story, the story found in the Book of Ruth, that is uh, more than a thousand years, takes place more than a thousand years before the story of the birth of Jesus. But we're looking at it uh, this December because it points to... The great truths of the Christmas story, the central promise of the Christmas story uh, is found here, and even um, the famous geography, we'll see, of the Christmas story is found here. You probably know this, but the, the entire Old Testament, right, which was Jesus' Bible, 39 books, is a grand story with really one major sort of um, focal point, which is the birth of a child or the sending of God's son into the world. And that son, when he shows up, we'll look at this on Christmas Eve, but when he shows up, he's called the son of David, uh, referencing the great king of Israel, the most famous king, David, King David. Now David... Two, has a very humble beginning, just like Jesus had. And Ruth the Moabite, that's how she's called in this book, that's her sort of um, designation. Ruth the Moabite plays a very important part in the story of David, who is, in a manner of speaking, uh, you know, the, uh, 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 the, the forerunner of the Savior Jesus called the Son of David a thousand years later. Uh, and it's in her story, my, my purpose for these few weeks, if we have eyes to see it, if I have eyes to see it, if you have eyes to see it, we can see our own story and how we are to respond to the Christmas story. Now last week, if you were here, we introduced this series. It, it, the very first verse of the first chapter puts the book in context. In the days of the judges, which gives you a historical reference, there was a famine in the land of Israel. And some of you would know this, uh, some not so much, but the, the days of the judges was before the days of the kings, right? All these kings in Israel. And it was after the great patriarchs that brought them into the promised land. The nation of Israel gets into the promised land under Joshua in the early parts of the Old Testament, and then they're there for a long time before they ever get king, Saul and David and others, and they have these judges, but in that period, it's a very dark period that's all, you know, um, you know, summarized when you read those words. in the days of the judges, you know, translation, a dark, difficult time in the history of Israel, there was a famine in the land. Those things go together. And what happened. And we learned some of this last week, if you were here, that some, the famine was so difficult that some of the people in Bethlehem and in Israel, Bethlehem's a part of Israel, they had to leave Israel and go other places because they, they were gonna starve. And one person who's the center of this story or part of this story is a woman named Naomi. And Naomi leaves with her husband Elimelech because they have to. And they're gone, as it turns out, for 10 years And after 10 years, the famine starts to end and Naomi decides to come back. But after those 10 years, when she comes back, she says, this is says in the first chapter, when people say, hey, look who's back. You know, it's been 10 years. And she says, well, I left full, but now I've come back empty. And what she means by that is I left with a husband and two sons and all three of them died. We're told that, but we're not told how. Um, in those intervening 10 years. So she said, I left full, but she's not a very happy person. But I came back empty. But of course, there's a great irony in that story, or in that comment, is that she's not fully empty. With her is this one of her two daughter-in-laws named Ruth, who's the center of this story and who's about to change history Hers and even ours. Ruth chapter 2, that's the setup for where we are. Read the first 12 verses, follow along as I read. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, Naomi, so they're back in Bethlehem, had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, that's her husband. Uh, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up some leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. They're, They're trying to survive. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter, have at it. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, men that worked for him, who does that young woman belong to? It's Moabite, stranger in his field. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said to us, quote, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters, unquote. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother. And your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now when she comes back, we saw this last week, Naomi comes back. Um, she says to her two daughters-in-laws, "This is just sort of a backup uh, for you guys, uh, if you weren't here last week, and they, she says to them, listen, you know, there's food back in my hometown, I've lost my husband, you guys have lost your husbands, my two sons, you know, I love you, I'm always for you, I'll always be available to you, but you stay here, you go live in Moab, go find yourself another husband, you're young, you don't have any kids yet, no bother going, but I'm gonna go back to my hometown, because they have food. And Orpah, one of her two daughter-in-law, says, great, and she goes back. But Ruth decides to come with her. But when she comes back... Naomi comes back into this town and, and she hasn't been there in 10 years and, and people say, because she must have been a woman of standing, her husband says, uh, well, her, 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 her husband's relative was a man of standing, we're guessing that Ruth was, a, a, was a, a, you know, a well-to-do person or excuse me, Naomi was you know 10 years earlier and they say, look, Naomi's back, look who's back in town and Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, which the word Naomi, the name means pleasant. She goes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord's against me. I went away full, but the Lord, I've come back empty. My sons are gone. My husband is gone. I have nothing. Call me, um, uh, you know, call me, uh, call me bitter is what she says. But and people have said to me as I, I was telling them, you know, over the last month or so that I was doing this book, and they said, Rob, why are you doing a book? you know, the book of Ruth, that has such a sobering and sad beginning, you know, this woman who says she's so bitter and angry, and why do that for Christmas, and is that a good idea, you know? And I say, well, yeah, I think it is, because, you know, half the people I know, right, which includes some of you, because I, you, this is my job, but half the people I know are, are kind of like Naomi, Right? In other words, they're looking for in life, not just Christmas, they're sort of expecting from life a bag of coal. And their, their, their attitude, like Naomi's, when difficult things come into their life, they say, I'm talking about Christian people. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And you know, this is the way that they see the world. But what this tells us, see, others of us, and Ruth is the example for us, right? Many of us, See the world the way that Naomi does, right? Whether you're a Christian or not. But many others, right? What appears as chance is better understood as divine providence, right? This is Ruth's point of view and it's the one I'm I'm encouraging you to have and encouraging myself to have. What appears as chance is better understood as divine providence. This is a big concept in the Bible and in this book. What is divine providence? Divine providence simply means this, that yes, sometimes God does work in demonstrative, concrete ways. A miracle happens, a a door is open, a health um, uh, challenge is reversed. God does answer prayer, and often he does that, but much more often, than this sort of concrete, you know, you know, transactional way. God works in and through the difficulties and the realities and the circumstances in our life. We call that providence, which means that God is, even when we don't see it, we don't perceive it, we don't feel it, God is providing for you, providing for me for my current needs and my future ones. This is called the providence of God. Now, many people would say, well, that sounds really nice, Rob, but I frankly don't see it. In my life, I'm glad Naomi, as it turned out, went to this field and found someone who favored her and helped her, but I don't see it in my life. And I would say to you, to the Naomis of us in this room, we tend to look, think about your own life for what we've planned on seeing right whether it's politics whether it's where god is showing up in my life whether it's you know personal relationships whether it's whether or not i'm going to get that promotion or whether or not someone's going to give me what i need we tend to look for what we've planned on seeing and many of us you know we're we're, we're expecting a bag of coal right that's what we're looking for and uh, but it, you know i i believe this is a true story uh, in my uh, belief uh, that this really happened, but I also believe it's a study in contrasts, right? Because both of these women have the exact same situation, happens to them, right? They're both in the same boat. They both come back to this place. They both have, both of them have lost their husbands. Both of them are kind of destitute, especially as a woman in this culture, and they're both facing the same situation, but they both look at it very, very differently, okay? Very very differently. Ruth says, Hey, what about, what if I just go out and try to glean some, see what I can find out there in the field? And her, her mother in law says, Well, go for it. Help yourself. And as it turns out, she just happens to stumble in a field of a guy who happens to be related, which means there's some element of responsibility to this family, the family of her mother-in-law, who happens to be single, happens to have a lot of money, and perhaps even fancies Ruth, right? As it turned out, the writer says, what appears as chance is better understood as divine providence. We, I was in my small group this week, and we, we spent this just one week, because it was a couple weeks before Christmas, reading the Christmas story and talking about it. So We decided to do that for this last Wednesday. But someone, before we got going, said, I wanna start with a question. The question is, um, everyone in the group, share a, um, one of your greatest memories, greatest childhood memories, right? And, and, uh, and, and so people started going around, there. and my sister shared a memory I had never heard before. You know, you grow up in a family and everyone has a different experience, right? You don't, know, you don't hear all the stories. And she said when she was young, maybe four or five, so I wouldn't have remembered this. She said one Christmas Eve, she looks out the window and she sees this truck pull up, one of those huge trucks, she said, where, you know, one of the, the, the doors kind of go up like this, you know, and when you're five years old, it's like, it's like huge. And she just opens up this truck and out comes these men, all these presents wrapped, and they come out of the truck into the garage and that next morning they show up under the Christmas tree, Right? Now, at that time, single-parent household, my mother, like, in this sense, Naomi, her husband had died when I was only an infant. And she said, my mother later told her, she, my mother had no idea where these presents came from. It was a handful of years later that she discovered they came from a woman down the street. Okay? What appears as chance is better understood as divine providence if you have the eyes to see it, if I have the eyes to see it. You have a choice this Christmas. You have a choice in your life at this moment to respond. You can either respond to your circumstances with bitterness, right? You can decide to do that. Don't call me Cheryl. Call me Mara, right? Don't call me Mike, Call me Mark. Don't call me Keith. You can decide to do that if you want to. That's what Naomi chose to do. Or you can respond with an obedience and a trust like Ruth does here. and says, well, listen, I believe. I can't see anything. What I see is what you see. Trouble, difficulty, famine, destitution, hard times. But I believe in the providence of God. Ruth lives out here in this passage. A a, a spiritual truth that will become magnified a thousand years later in the New Testament that I think you and I, many of us, if we're honest, um, don't do so well. Romans 8 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for everybody, for those who love Him. That's the level of commitment who have been called according to his purpose. Let me say something about this verse. It's one of those handful of verses that is often misquoted and misunderstood. It doesn't say, you know, all things work together for good. See, sometimes tragedy happens in your life, in my life, and someone says, hey, listen, I know you lost your job. I know you lost this. I know this was, you know, this thing, everything turned upside down. All things are gonna work out together for good. That's not what the the passage says at all. There's a lot of things in life that are not good, right? Cancer is not good. Divorce is not good. You know, uh, 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 financial reversal is not good, and on and on and on. It doesn't say all things work together for good. It says in all things, even in the bad things, even in the death of a husband, even in the death of a son. Does it get any heavier than that? Or a daughter, even in a horrible diagnosis, in all things, inside there, right? God works for the good to those who have the eyes and that see it, those who have the heart to see it. Those in trust and obedience say, I can't, I can't physically see it, but I'm gonna go forward and trust that God is there as it turned out, Right? She started to glean into a field from a guy who was a man of standing, a relative of her mother-in-law, who decides to bless this family. What appears as chance is better understood as divine providence. Second, it's faith, not race or religion, that counts with God. And This is mostly why I thought this is a good thing to study as we look at the Christmas story. It's faith, not race or religion, that counts with God. This is so important. This is what the gospel is all about. This is what the Christmas message is all about. And it's here in technicolor in this passage, in this ancient story, if you and I have eyes to see it. Let me say something quick. Five times, I think it's five times, in this book, it says, Ruth the Moabite. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and I. But if you take the most derogatory term, I'm not gonna say any because I'll get myself in all kinds of trouble, but whatever that is, whether it's a, you know, about race or whether it's about geography or whether it's about some kind of behavior or whatever it is, all the prejudices in the, and, and, and you just lump them all together, this would be one, right? Would, in fact, it would be at the top of the list. The Moabites we were not just a special class of outsiders, or they weren't just an outsider. As you know, the Jewish people, it was a separatist system, right? Kosher foods. No one comes into the temple. You have to be Jewish. The food laws and clothing and everything was highly circumscribed to create a sense of separation and holiness. And everybody outside of the Jewish faith, in a manner of speaking, the other nations, they were outsiders. But the Moabites... And you, people would know this, certainly live walking in this story. They were a special class of outsider. And the reason they were a special class of outsider, if you want to do your homework, you can do it. I'll give you a couple, at least one reference, Numbers 25. But what happened is the nation of Israel had this great promise to go into the promised land. You know the story, Moses and the Exodus. And they get right to the edge of the promised land. Okay, and as they get right to the edge of the prom, they're all they're this close to the promises of God and their whole in the national promises, and this nation, the Moabites, seduces them. It's this huge story, and it's a long story. I'm not going to tell you, but it seduces them, and, and through the prophet of Balaam and all this sexual craziness, and and seduces them. Okay, and it results in a tremendous setback. Okay. In fact, forty years later, forty years later, after that whole generation dies, and Moses is about to—excuse me—yeah, uh, Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy and says, "Now you can go into the Promised Land." Right? It's a huge setback. There's special legislation, Deuteronomy 23, that says, "Now, for ten generations, nobody who is a Moabite can even come close." to the assembly of God, the tabernacle and the temple because they get special outsider status because of the way they treated Israel. Now imagine that's the case, what it would have felt like if you were Ruth walking into Bethlehem. She'd never been there. She met her husband who was an expat. He was there in Moab and she married him just like her friend Orpah did. But when Ruth walks back into Bethlehem for the very first time, I promise you, she felt the weight of that legislation, of that judgment. But Boaz, we just read about it, he looks past her race. She's a Moabite. Past her paganism. Naomi said, go back to your gods. It was a pagan religion. Past her race, past her religion, to her faith. That was the talk of the town. I just read it. Boaz replied, She said, "Why do you have such favor on me?" She's blown away. She doesn't know who this guy is. She says, "Why in the world are you giving me this special status, special protection? Go have water with my, my with the guys. I'm going to throw out bundles for you. No one's going to lay a hand on you. I've got my eyes on you." She says, "Why would you be give me such favor, such grace, in, in that you notice me? Now wait for it. Not a woman." not a widow not you know not a uh, you know a, a a poor person a foreigner right why did you notice me a foreigner because ruth understood as did everybody in this small community that moabites had no claims on the people of god no claims on the promises of god right but he he it was the quality of her faith right that's what what Boaz understood. She was the talk of the town. Listen to these words, okay? This is what Boaz is talking about. It was a small town. This is what happened in chapter one. Naomi says, listen, go back, to your, go back to Moab. Find a husband. There's no future for you in Bethlehem, okay? There's no future for you. I'll always love you, but there's no future for you. Chapter one, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you where you go i will go where you stay i will stay your people will be my people and your god my god where you die i will die there i will be buried may the lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me guys these are this is not words of appreciation to her mother-in-law these are words of conviction these are words of commitment. These are words of faith. Okay, these are words of faith. That's what Boaz gets impressed about. He says, "Listen, you know, it's like Jesus said this. So there's a story in um, Matthew chapter eight, where a Roman soldier says he has a, he has a um, a servant that's been sick, and he and, and this Roman soldier says to Jesus, he's got some." real you know, courage because he's not Jewish Jesus is the Jewish um, Messiah right? he's the rabbi and he says Jesus will you heal my servant and Jesus says Would, do, you, do, do, you, do you want me to come to your house and this Roman soldier, non-Jewish person says I'm not worthy for you to come to my house but just say the word and my servant will be healed, you don't even have to come and you know what Jesus says it sounds pretty but it's kind of kicking the stomach if you're Jewish or if you're a person of faith in this culture, he says, listen, I have not found such great faith. Not at all in Israel, right? I, don't, I go to church and people in church don't have the kind of faith that this Roman soldier has. That's what Jesus says. And his servant was healed. See, that's what, that's what Boaz notices here. He notices something in Ruth, right, that is a it's a gospel truth, guys, God is not, you know, it's it's not race or religion or, or your good works. It's your faith. But let me say this. There's a lot of people that say to me, you know, I don't buy the gospel or the Christmas message because the gospel and the Christmas message, you know, God loves the world. He sent his son to offer forgiveness to all who accept him. It sounds too simple. It sounds too easy. I don't buy it. But I would say to you that although that's true, God sent his son into the world to die for your sins. God sent his son into the world to die for my sins. And all you need to do is accept it, right? It's only true if you choose to give your life to it, okay? See, many of us would say, I've been in church for many years, maybe. And I've heard many sermons like this one, but it hasn't changed my life. Okay, well maybe it hasn't changed your life or hasn't changed my life because it's, it's, it's sort of just something else that you've put into your week, right? It's not become something. When Ruth says what she says, these are not words of affection to her mother-in-law. As I said, they're words of conviction. They're words of commitment. Where you go, I will go, right? Have you said that to Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian, where you go, I will go, right? Your people will be my people, right? The Christian community, your people will be my people, right? Some people say to me, you know, all the Christians in my church or my, you know, my, my unsafe friends are nicer than they are. Well, too bad, <laughs> right? Because you're called to love the body of Christ in a unique way. You know what I'm saying? When they came to knock on Jesus' door one time, it's in the, he's in Capernaum, he's teaching at this, big, at this house. All these people are following him. Jesus performing miracles. You know the story. They knock on the door. They say, Jesus, some guy's in the crowd, in the house. Your mother and your brothers. You know, Jesus had uh, uh, others, Mary and Joseph had other kids. They're outside waiting for you. And you know what Jesus said? Serious as could be, he looks down to the disciples that are sitting on the floor, like a Young Life meeting. You know, they're all sitting on the floor there. And he says, listen, who is my mother and who is my brother and my sister? It's those who do the will of God, Amen. right? Yes. That's what it means to be a Christian. Where you go, I will go. Have you said that? Have I said that? Your people will be my people. Your God will be mine. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is the message that is offered to us and accepted. And this is what impresses Bo has about Ruth. Why have you found such favor in, why have I found such favor in your eyes and you notice me a and he goes, I'll tell you why. Because I see a conviction in you that I haven't even seen in my own life in a long time. And I'm a, I'm a pastor. You know, I'm an insider. Bethlehem has been my home. I'm a Jew of Jews, but I have not seen the quality of faith. And he says this, a powerful statement. It's why it really tips, it's sort of a Precursor to the gospel. May you be richly rewarded. That's what Boaz says to her. By the Lord, the God of Israel. He's talking to a Moabite. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, listen, I'm going to make an announcement here. You're no longer Ruth the Moabite. You are a daughter of the God of Israel. Right? Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Guys, the, the, Christmas is not like the 4th of July. And what do I mean by that? It's not simply a, an event that we celebrate that's connected to a historical event. Okay, I believe Jesus was born in, in a manger in Bethlehem. But Christmas is an invitation to all people, right? The God of, of all people, Christians and non-Christians, to commit their lives to the care of Almighty God. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Last point, get more to this next week. In Jesus, we see how far God will go to reclaim and restore his people, right? That's the message here, right? Right? This is how far God will go. You cannot gain life. You cannot gain security. You cannot gain goodness on your own. Listen, here's the message of Ruth in the message of Christmas. Everybody's an outsider. Everybody's an outsider. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Why was there famine in the first place here? Because the whole nation as a whole had capitulated to the culture around them and lost their distinctiveness and had lost their faith. And out of this soup of disobedience and, and, and failure comes a woman who had no claims on the things of God at all. She was the last person you'd ever expect to be in Bethlehem, and she says, I'm going forward. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anyone moves me off of this trajectory that I'm on right now. Is that how you feel about Jesus Christ? Is that how I feel about Jesus Christ? Okay. This is the heart of the Christian message. Everybody's an outsider. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. God does not help them who help themselves. You've heard that line, right? It's a great, you know, quotable line. God helps them who help themselves. Let me tell you something. You don't find that in here at all. God helps them who cannot help themselves and who know it and who come humbly and rely on God for help. I bowed she bowed down her face to the ground and said to him, "Why have I found such favor or grace in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner?" Boaz, we'll see this more next week. He's a type of Jesus Christ, okay? And interestingly enough, some of you know this do you know every single story in the Bible? But let's just take the 39 books of the Old Testament where we are this morning. Every one of them has one protagonist. His name is Jesus Christ. Okay. So it takes a while sometimes to see that, but that's he is. You say, well, Rob, that's really fancy preaching. Where'd you get that? Luke 24. Jesus rises from the dead. You know this story. Some of you do. And Jesus is a strange, one of the the strange stories of the resurrection. Jesus is walking along the road, and he sees some of his dejected disciples, because the crucifixion had just happened, and they're sort of leaving town, sort of in shock, okay? Because all of their hopes and dreams seem to have been, um, you know, uh, fallen apart at the crucifixion. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, friends, what gives? It's a paraphrase, it was pretty close, and they said, well, you know, how could you not know what's going on? Don't you read the papers and all, In this guy who we'd hoped, we thought he was the answer to the promises of the Old Testament, and, and we had all this great hope and expectation, and, and it all fell apart. And then Jesus says, they don't know it's Jesus, says his presence was hidden from them, whatever that means, right? In some way he was not revealed to them. And he says, well, how foolish and how slow to believe you are he says, was it not said in the, Old, in the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah must suffer, Isaiah 53, for people? That, well, don't you know your Bible? And then it says he took the scriptures, Moses, the prophets, right? And another passage says, and all the scriptures, the 39 books of the Bible, he says, and showed them how they were about him, right? That's what I'm doing here this morning or trying to do, okay? In Jesus, we see how far God will go to restore his people. All of us are outsiders, right? Every single one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if you're willing, right, despite your sin, despite your background, despite the the labels over your head or your heart or your chest, okay, if you're willing to believe in the providence of God, to believe in the love of God and go forward anyway and say, I'm going to find shelter under his wings. There's a place for you. To as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons and daughters of God. Yes. Okay? Okay, application. If, if, if Jesus is your savior, and I know that's true for many people in this room, He's true, he is your savior. You knew that before you came in. But practically speaking, only you know this, only I know this about myself, he's not really the Lord of your life. See, you couldn't say with conviction, as it concerns Jesus and his teachings, where you go, I will go. Right? You're gonna be the Lord of my life. And God deal with me be it ever so severely if I don't follow you, where you tell me to go. Okay? That means he's the Lord of your life. So he can be your savior and not your Lord. And my challenge to me, my challenge to you is, make these words your own this Christmas. If he's your savior, make him your Lord. Let Ruth be an encouragement to you of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine what it took for her? She had a choice to make, so do you. Go home where you got, it's easier, it's more comfortable, there's less conflict, You you know, all is well. Or go to a place where you're going to probably be judged and be on the margins, but God is there. That's where he's calling you to go. And she says, that's where I'm going. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you've been in church for a long time in your life, you know, just like many of the people. You know what I think Boaz is saying? He's so impressed by Ruth, he says, you know what? She has a quality of faith that I haven't seen among the people of God, right? Just because you're in church does not mean you're a Christian. But you've even been in church, but you've never made Jesus Christ your refuge, right? It's a metaphor, but it's what he's saying. May God be richly, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which in the Old Testament means the co- God, the covenant God. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay? So if you've never done that, strongly encourage you, take refuge in the arms of Jesus. Make him your Savior. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. We're done. God, thank you for these moments we have this morning. Thank you for every uh, person in this room, and Lord, we just come to you with um, open hearts and open minds, and I, I pray uh, first for the, uh, anyone in this room who, who would say, you know, I'm, I, I, I've never opened my life to the message of Christ. I've never seen it as something completely laying down my own strategies, my own fears, my own efforts at saving myself, at earning God's favor and just simply receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, finding refuge. And I just pray, Lord, that you would hear those prayers, you would answer those prayers and you would welcome these men and women. May may it be said of them, they are a son or a daughter of the God of Israel under whose Wings, they have come to seek refuge. And Lord, for the rest of us who are here this morning to celebrate this great event, uh, season, but who would say honestly that our lives um, have not demonstrated this kind of conviction, this kind of commitment. Lord, help us today, this week, this, this time to use this season as an opportunity to surrender our lives more fully, to go where you want us to go as followers of Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.